Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Ray Dirksen, the lead pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. All right, we're going to talk about faith and prayer, and it's a huge topic. I've been writing on uh, prayer, a theology of prayer behind the scenes, and uh, so I'm just going to take a couple little points. I, I had more time trying to get rid of stuff than trying to write stuff uh, for this particular message, but today we're going to look at a lack of how a lack of faith hinders prayer, but we're just going to look at two little components. There's a lot more to it than that, and what that does. And we'll look at it using two stories of Jesus' encounters with others. And the first, one, uh, the first point is that self-sufficiency hinders prayer. Self-sufficiency hinders prayer. A man approached Jesus and kneeling before him said in Matthew 17, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Uh, this just, this, ha this uh, particular story uh, happened when they came down from the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was transfigured before them. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. And then Jesus' disciples came to him privately and they asked this question, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith, because of your what? Little faith. Now hang on to that for a second. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. One of the, <clears throat> one of the problems in the Western world church is a lack of prayer. I was talking to a pastor just the other day on the phone from another province, and he was asking me some questions, and then I asked him this question. I said, does your church pray? Pray? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, when we, uh, we just canceled our corporate prayer meeting because there was just, my, uh, just an older woman and myself. And he said it seemed kind of inappropriate. That is the condition of much of the Western world's churches today. We don't pray. And Jesus said it's a problem. But let's uh, hang on to that thought. What's the mountain he's talking about here? Well, it's a figure of speech in the Old Testament that describes national leaders or authorities and enemies. And in this case, the mountain or enemy authority was the what? Was the? Demon, of course. They couldn't cast out this demon. And Jesus said, if you had, if you had just a little bit of faith, like the grain of a mustard seed, you'd be able to remove that authority or that demon in this particular case. That's what Jesus was getting at. And like, uh, like tree root systems that break up our sidewalks, and they do, the mustard seed could do the same, literally pushing stones in its way. It was a very good analogy or metaphor that Jesus was using, wasn't it? Jesus was saying that when your faith is living like that, you can move mountains, authorities and enemies that stand in your way, and particularly in the way of the kingdom advancement. He's assuming that we have a kingdom mindset. He's not just talking about our little personal quibbles. So what they couldn't, uh, so why couldn't the disciples drive out the demon? Well, it says little faith, but it can't, it can't mean amount of faith here, and there's a couple of reasons, because Jesus has just finished saying, if you just have it the size of a mustard seed, the mustard seed is very small. Would you agree? 
That's very little faith. So it, it can't be saying that. And in the story, we actually see that they had faith. They actually tried to and expected to exercise the demon, right? They, and they had often driven out demons before. Mark chapter 6, the disciples drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And now it didn't work. Why? Why didn't it work? The reason can't be that it wasn't God's will. Jesus was upset with them. Besides, it's always God's will to fight the enemy. Would you agree with that? And to win. Would you agree with that? It's always God's will. He says it's little faith, but we just saw that it is not a little amount of faith. What he was really talking about was a defective faith. A defective faith. And the clue is seen in Mark's telling of the same exact story where Jesus adds this following remark. He says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but what? Prayer. Prayer? What did he mean by that? And what did it have to do with faith? The disciples had been tempted to think that this gift was in their control and could be exercised at their disposal. Here's where the self-sufficiency comes in. Watch this. It encouraged them to trust in themselves rather than in God. They had to learn that their previous success in expelling demons provided no guarantee of continued power. They assumed it was now inherent in them and that they didn't need God. Their faith was defective, listen carefully now, because it was in their self-sufficiency rather than in the sufficiency of God. And it was proved by the fact that they didn't pray. There it is. How many people have I heard in my th nearly 30 years of ministry talk to me about an experience they had with God way back, and they're still living off a 20-year-old experience with God? And they go into ministry that way. They try to run their families that way. And Jesus was saying, that's a defective faith. They lacked prayer, and the point of it was that without prayer, they didn't have God. Did you know that? They didn't have God. They no longer depended prayerfully on God for it, and their failure showed this in their lack of prayer, and that upset Jesus. You and I don't have inherent life or power in us. I don't care what baptism you had. You say, oh, I had this baptism of the Spirit 30 years ago. Whoopee. <laughs> I'm glad you did. <laughs> I really am. I'm not being facetious now. I'm very glad you did. But yesterday's manna isn't good for today. Amen? Amen? Yesterday's power isn't good enough for today. The filling of the Spirit, that's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, uh, sorry, in uh, chapter 4, he said, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's in the present indicative tense, meaning it's a continual filling. And how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? When you go into the presence of God in, help me, church, prayer. There it is. That's how it happens. 
It always happens that way. That's what Jesus meant in John 15. He said, remain in me. He used another metaphor, the vine and branches. No branch can bear fruit by itself, must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Filled with the Spirit. How? In prayer. Yesterday, 100, 100, well, they said over 140. I think I heard the number 147 were at the Empower. In the resting session, which is a way of saying, a nice way of saying being filled with the Holy Spirit. We just thought you'd like the word resting better. But that's actually what it is. Paul and Silas think, but, but what is this filling of the Spirit exactly? Let's look at some examples in the Scriptures and find out. Paul and Silas were in a prison in Acts chapter 16 in Philippi. Do you remember that story at midnight? Do you remember that? Suddenly at midnight there was a violent earthquake and at once the prison doors flew open and every prisoner's chains were loosed. Who did that? Help me, church. Who did that? God did. Very good. You're always safe to say God or Jesus. If you don't know a Bible answer, just say Jesus. You pretty much got it. God did that. But what were Paul and Silas doing right then? Oh, let's take a look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas, what were they doing? Praying and singing. And God showed up. <laughs> and God showed up. Isn't that incredible? Peter and John had just been released from their arrest for healing a man. You'll be good at answering the questions correctly this time because you've had practice now. They reported it to the church, and shortly after that, the place where they met, it says, was shaken. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who did that? Yeah. Was it Peter and John? Was it the church? No, but what was the church doing? They were praying. Exactly right. You know your Bibles. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There it is. When we spend time in prayer, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we take God along with us into our lives of ministry. That's the point. In Acts chapter 10, 38, it says... Uh, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for what? God was, God was with him. Let's say that again, because God was with him. And when God comes along with us in our ministries, things begin to happen. Years ago, I was running all the Empower uh, uh, retreats. And remember, and we saw so many things happen in those retreats. And um, I miss not running them. And, uh, but, uh, but I remember we were running the, this one in particular. We got to this resting session where people could be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, this one woman told a story, and she testified there, and she's talked about it many times. She said she wasn't going up there to receive the Holy Spirit. No. So she sat there like this on her chair. And moments later, guess what happened? The Holy Spirit got a hold of her, and she fell off the chair onto the floor anyway. <laughs> Is that amazing? Yeah. 
That's because God was there. You, you can't pull those kinds of things. Those, those, those aren't rabbit tricks that you, you pull out of that. God was just showing up. I, I was thinking about this. In fact, I was pondering it, and I was so joyful. I was so excited. Uh, the, I said, Holy Spirit, can you remind me of some, some instances where I've seen you showing up? And oh my, he began just showing me a, a lot of them. This last January, we were in Chilliwack, and we were, I was conducting the uh, set free workshop. That's not the retreat. This is a workshop on freedom, being spiritually free. And uh, there were seven pastors of larger churches and one denominational leader. And in, on the first day in the morning, I think it was the morning or the afternoon, um, one of the pastors interrupted me and he asked me a question. And I began to speak. Uh, I wasn't speaking out of my notes. I was speaking... Uh, I just began to answer the question. And next thing you know, for 30 minutes, I talked about dying, the importance of dying to self and picking up your cross if you're going to be a lead pastor. I talked to him for 30 minutes, and when it was finished, all at once, we sensed the Holy Spirit had showed up. And one of the pastors said, Ray, I don't think we should go any further. I think we should let the Holy Spirit speak to us right now. And within moments... All of us, including Bergens and Fran, were at a wooden cross that they had there because they run set-free retreats. And we were on our knees. There was weeping, and we were listening, and we were praying. It was powerful. It was palpable. Why? Because if you go into prayer, you get filled with his spirit, which really is him. It's not like you're getting some power surge a 220 volt or something. And when you go out about your business, you're carrying God with you, the presence of God with you. That's what that means. That's a powerful thought. Some of us get too busy. And by the way, I've done it. Whoa. You say, have you ever gone without power? Yes. Too many times. And when that happens, it's a flop, a total flop. Chris and Tom just completed a fantastic parenting series, didn't they? And the, the Bible doesn't actually give us a lot of tips on parenting. And uh, do you know why that is? One reason is because each child and family, of course, are unique, so you need God's wisdom and direction, which you also can get in what? prayer. And we say that often. But there's something more. When you spend time in prayer, you are filled with him so that when you leave, he goes with you in power. And he changes your family in ways that you cannot link A with B. One time, uh, when we were here in this building, I said to Chris, uh, uh, I wish I had known uh, then what I now know about parenting. And this was his response to me. He replied, Dad, what about how we turned out don't you like? That was his immediate response. <laughs> that really hit me. He wasn't saying that we did it all perfectly. Not at all. In fact, that in his first message on the parenting series, he acknowledged that. 
But here's what I now get and know, and it's what Andrew Murray said. And this is what Andrew Murray said. When I work, I work. But when I pray, God works. Can you say that with me? When I work, I work. But when I pray, God works. That's incredible. This is a parenting tip. In fact, if I were going to write a book now on parenting, I might write the whole thing on this. At least I'd have the first chapter on this. First parenting tip, be in prayer. Not just for direction and wisdom. Yes, you need that. We've said that many times. But there is a presence of Jesus that comes with you that when you go about your business in your home, even when you don't know it, things are happening because God is at work. Do you believe that, church? I guess this is part four of parenting series. Chris, can we add that? Yeah, he said yes. And that goes for ministry at work or here at church. Do you uh, minister in the nursery? Pray and take God with you. Do you greet at the doors of the church? Pray and take God with you. Do you sing in the choir? Pray and take God with you. Brothers and sisters, pray and take God with you wherever you go, and you will see him transform situations you couldn't have imagined. Do you believe that? Then pray. Then pray. There's a second thing that hinders prayer that has to do with faith, and that's doubt and unbelief. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20 to 22 says, behold, a woman, I'm going to tell a second story now. A woman who had suffered from discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind Jesus, touched the fringe of his garment, for she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. Now, notice that fringe of the garment. The word fringe there is from the, from the Greek word kras uh, meaning a tassel of twisted wool. And in Numbers 15, uh, we see where that came from, that whole thought. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of the garments throughout their generations to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. They sewed these tassels on the four corners of their prayer shawls or garments and the tassels, I'm not going to go into the details about the eight threads and how they were all weaved together and how it, how it came out too, but it represented 613 Old Testament commandments. And the corner, the Hebrew word for that, is also translated wings. Okay? And therefore, the, corner of, the corners of the prayer shawl or garment were often referred to as wings of the garment. In Psalm 91, verse 4, we see an example of that. We, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Now, even today, Jewish men cover their heads with a shawl, shawl when they pray. It speaks of being under God's law and protection. Okay? Now, let's fast forward to Malachi, the last prophet to write before Jesus came. 
And in the last words of his prophecy, he writes about the coming of Messiah, whom we know to be Jesus. Malachi 4 says, For behold, the day is coming, but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise. He's talking about the future. Something's, uh, Something's coming. Shall rise with healing in its wings. Do you see that? You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And based on this prophecy, belief developed in first century Judaism that the corner tassels of Messiah's garment would have healing powers. Now, do you see where this is going? The words son of righteousness were considered a messianic title, just like root of Jesse or bright morning star or son of David. Son of righteousness is just another title for the Messiah that was going to come. So Malachi 4.2 was a messianic prophecy saying that Messiah would heal and that the healing powers would be found in the tassels of his garment. There would be healing powers there. Now that gives us context about the woman touching Jesus' garment. Why did she reach out and touch the corner tassel of Jesus' garment? And why did she say to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well? Because she knew that God said through the prophet Malachi, and then she believed two things about that prophecy. Here's the first thing. She believed that Jesus was Messiah. And number two, she believed that God had already said that Messiah would have healing in his wings or garment tassels. And so we see Jesus' response, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith in me, in the prophecy, in what was written, has made you well. Do you see that? That's what he's talking about there. And many others also believed in Jesus as Messiah and in what God had said about him through Malachi. In Mark chapter 6, verse 56, It says, and wherever he, Jesus, came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garments. And as many as touched him or touched it were made whole or made well. This woman, together with many others, believed God's promises as stated and taught from the prophet Malachi, and they experienced great things. And Jesus said, your faith in what I have said in the past, your faith in that, and what I've said, or what God had said, has made you well. You understand that I'm Messiah. And that there's healing uh, powers in me. That's what was going on there. That's incredible thought. Uh, One day, uh, but we deduce that many others did not receive from the Lord because they didn't believe in him and in what God had said he would do. One day he was teaching in the synagogue of his hometown. They were astonished at his teaching and works, and so they began talking. Hey, we know his dad. We know this carpenter. Hey, isn't that uh, Mary, his mom? And we know his brothers and sisters, too. He can't be Messiah. And look at Matthew's commentary on them. 
It says in verse 57, and they took offense at him, and the result was predictable in the very next verse, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their what? Unbelief. They wouldn't believe. They didn't trust what God's Word had clearly said, what the Scriptures had said. Many found him, but many refused. They wouldn't believe. Now, you say, what's the point? What does this have to do with prayer? Everything. Because it's a, because, uh, because it's a, sim- uh, a, it's a simile. God has made another promise to you and I as believers. Did you know that? And this promise is that he has promised to answer our prayers. God in heaven has promised to answer our prayers. End of sentence. This is very hard for people to say that, for Christians to say that. God has promised to answer our prayers. Do we believe it? Let's look at a sampling. Matthew 21. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. 1 John 5. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. And then see what Jesus himself says. John 15. He says, if you abide in me, My words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Wow. There's another one. Let's try another one. John 16. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. God really desires to answer our prayers. Not only that, God promises to answer our prayers. Of course, there are a few qualifiers embedded in these promises. You, you're praying for needs, not greeds, right? You're not hanging on to your sin. You pray in accordance with His will. But I think there's a big one that hinders prayer even more so, and I think it's found in Christian churches. It's a sin, according to Scripture, and it's called unbelief or doubt. Unbelief results in unanswered prayer. Did you know that? Did you know that it's possible to pray a prayer and not get an answer because of unbelief? James talks about that. He says, let him ask in faith with no doubt. He was talking about asking for wisdom there. With no doubting for the one who doubts. It's like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This has to do with prayer. God has promised to answer our prayers just like he promised that Messiah would come with healing powers and that woman believed and, uh, and she received, but others wouldn't believe and they didn't receive. God has promised to answer our prayers, but a lot of Christians carry in their bosom 
a great deal of doubt and unbelief about God. It needs to be said with the greatest possible emphasis that God's promises, including those that relate to prayer, are utterly trustworthy. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart right now. Do you actually believe that God's promises, that God is trustworthy, and that He does hear and answer your prayers if you believe? But doubt and uncertainty will result in half-hearted praying or cause us to stop praying altogether. And I fear that that's what's happened in many situ in Christian situations. How many have prayed so are later to be found saying with bitterness, oh yes, I prayed, it didn't do any good, nothing came of it. Perhaps they add, I don't believe in prayer anymore, so these days I don't pray at all. Here's the Bible's response to that. God answers all sincere prayers of his children. He has obligated himself to it and put his name on the line. Here's the problem. Now listen to me. Here's the problem. I think I know what the problem is. We look at the prayer request and we look at the answer and if they don't match precisely, we think God didn't answer our prayers. Hmm. And do you know the reason for that? Because not only does God answer and match all sincere prayers of his children, he usually gives them more and gives them better gifts than what they asked. Did you know that? Amen. And that's why. Because what God says, in fact, he says this in Ephesians. Look, look what he says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. He likes to give us more than what we ask and better than what we ask. And because of that, we can't always match request and answer. I'll demonstrate that in just a second. But listen to me. And then the minute we can't match it, we doubt him. And our prayers go to half-hearted prayers. In fact, we're a little ticked off at him. And when you're ticked off at him, and when you doubt, and when you don't trust, and when you don't love, he says you don't get. And I don't get. You said, Ray, has that ever happened to you? Yes, it has. Have you ever been half-hearted in your praying about something, Ray? Yes. Have you ever quit praying about something? Yes. But God says, He answers prayer. And I find that the, you know, Corey Ten Boom said, the more I pray, the more coincidences happen in my life. <laughs> Isn't that something? God wants you to pray. You say, I've quit praying. Or I'm, I'm really slacking off in my praying because I doubt him. God always answers sincere prayer, and he always answers sincere prayers, or usually with more and with better answers. Let me give you an example now. If my teen asks for a bicycle and I give him a car, did I match the request, yes or no? No. 
I didn't match it. But would the teen say I answered their prayer? Yes. Did I match the request? Answer. Did I answer the prayer? Yes, with much better in the teen's mind, right? Immeasurably more than they could have imagined or asked that dad would ever do for them. Would you agree? Now, suppose my teen asks for a car. Let's up the ante a little bit. And I say, I'll drive you around to apply at a food store or a gas station or restaurant, and then I'll drive you to work every day uh, when it's too cold and too rainy till you've saved enough money to buy a car. Now, did I match the request? No. The answer is no. Say no. No. Did I answer the prayer? Did I answer with better? Oh, you're hesitant. You must be teenagers. <laughs> Did I answer with better? Yes, because I taught them not just, I didn't just give them a fish, I taught them how to fish. Huh? I didn't just give them a bike or give them a car, I taught them how to get a car so that he could get a house and he could get all kinds of other things later too. Would you agree? Did I match the request? Did I answer the prayer? Did I answer immeasurably more than, all could, than he could have imagined? Yeah, it was certainly more than he could have imagined, right? Will he understand it today? No. Might he understand it two years from now? Will he understand it 20 years from now when he's successful? And what do you think he's going to do with his kids? The exact same thing. Because he's a good father. Is that true? Our heavenly father is just like that. If you ask him for a loaf of bread, will he give you a stone? Help me. Will he? If you ask him for a fish, will he give you a snake? No. But if you ask him for a loaf, might he give you a bakery? Huh? If you ask him for a fish, might he give you a fishing boat? I don't mean the kind that you go out to white shell with. Some of you guys, I can see some of the guys writing this one down. <clears throat> oh, wrong one. I'm going to stroke that one out for the next service. No. <laughs> June 28th, 2000, I was praying. Was, we were in the old building on Highway 12. I was praying. And I had had this feeling. I'd, I, I was troubled about the Canadian church way back then already. That goes way back in my life. Uh, it's just a calling on from God. That's all it is. June 28th, 2000, I was reading in my office <clears throat> in the scriptures. I'd been praying about renewing the Canadian church. And I was reading in Revelation when I read the words a thousand several times. And when I did, I was so overcome. I, I have no way of, to explain it except the Holy Spirit came over me. And I had to, I tried to hold myself. And I finally fell on the floor. And I was prostrated there for a long time praying and weeping. It was just the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Nothing spiritual. <laughs> it happens to you or it doesn't. And I was just so overcome 
with it, and I knew God was speaking to me. And he wouldn't let me go for a couple of hours. I was in this spot, zoned. So I knew what it was. I mean, we'd planted a church in Woodstock, and you can't renew the churches that there are. He, must, he wants me to plant a thousand churches. That's probably what it means. So I started praying for planting a thousand churches. We even went and tried one in Winnipeg. And, uh, you know, I began to see how difficult that was. I thought about our Woodstock days. No money, no buildings, no, no people, no resources, nothing. So over a period of time, the Holy Spirit began to work in my mind. As I would pray, he said, Ray, don't you see it? What if I would just renew the pastors? They already got buildings. They already got tithes and offerings coming in. Huh. A novel thought. Then in uh, 2004 and 2005, a denomination asked me twice if I would consider being president of a denomination, about 500 churches. You know that already. And I thought, this is it, halfway to 1,000. In fact, a few other people said that to me too. Halfway to 1,000. And, uh, but then the Lord said, no, you can't go, you, you can't take that unless you stay with Southland. Okay, well, I'd promised I would stay with Southland, I'd stay in Stymie, so I didn't see how I could ever touch, how, how we could ever touch, uh, touch the Canadian church. Then in 2008, December, a man by the name of John Bergen calls me and says, Ray, we're stepping down from Willow Creek, Canada, and we, would you consider launching a church, uh, a ministry to the Canadian church? And uh, we wrestled over that. Finally, November 2011, I get up and we announce we're starting church renewal. No pastors, no program, no materials, nothing. Took a full year to November 2012, so that's just over two years ago, when we got our first three pastors, and one of them quit after two months. Now we were down to two pastors. Two years later, we're at 42 pastors, but now not only pastors, denominational leaders. Now, can you imagine if I'd taken that denomination? Maybe there would have been 40 churches that wanted it and the rest wouldn't have wanted it. That means we're already at that spot in just two years. Not only that, a team just came back from Cuba. Did you know that? Paul Hebert, Robin Claire Funk, James Harder, Henry Nallis, Brown, they did some checking over there. We did a set-free retreat back there in November. He reported back, and I'm going to get more reports uh, between services. And, uh, but this is, what I, this is what I got on the, uh, just on a text. He said that uh, nearly 1,100 of the 1,200 churches in that denomination had already run a set-free retreat since November. That's unbelievable. In just over a month, we're going to Uganda, and there's going to be 60 leaders from six African countries there for two weeks of training. They're going to spread it, the whole idea is, then I'm supposed to be back in one year and give them the next bit to take into six countries. That's unbelievable. Burma and Vietnam are asking, when are you coming? India is now asking, when are you coming? I thought we should plant churches. <laughs> you know, the Holy Spirit came over me. This is what you should do. Did God match my request? Did he? No, he didn't match my request at all. Did he answer my prayer? 
imaginably, unimaginably more than I could have ever thought or imagined that we as a group, we're just a little group in nowhere. That's what one pastor wrote, uh, no, a, a denominational leader, district superintendent wrote to all his pastors, over a hundred of them, and said, you can't believe what we experienced in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> That's what he called it. <laughs> it's too funny, right? It's not the way we think, is it? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try something else. Uh, because i got time. <laughs> Many years ago, 2001, uh, uh, Len and I went to Korea because Chris and Ladon were there for a year. And God used Chris to, uh, to prompt me a couple of times, it, it, total, it was a God thing, to come to Korea. And I had no intent, didn't want to go to Korea at all. Went there, and uh, in one of the services, <clears throat> on an afternoon, in the afternoon, Len and I were sitting in the translation section way up, upstairs in, in the balcony. It's a massive church, thousands of people. I don't know how big, uh, how, how big it was, but it's, it's just huge. We're sitting there, and uh, the, mess, uh, the teaching began. We put on our headsets, turned to the English channel, nothing. So, uh, tried the other channels. The other languages were all on, but I, I'm not very fluent in them, so... I leaned to the back, and I put one on, and I turned to English, and it was on. But mine was off, and so was Len's. So I, I nudged Len, and I said, let's go back there. So we got up, went around, and sat down in some pews. And I sat right down beside a, a, a diminutive Malaysian woman, as it turned out to be. A, Asian, I knew for sure. During the break, she turns to me, and just she just goes after me like, who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? Why are you here? And just, like, in your face. I said, I guess that's how Asians must be. <laughs> I didn't know. <clears throat> Coming from Canada, just see. And that, that was it. And we continued with the session. A few days later, we had, the, uh, we had uh, a prayer in Seoul Olympic Stadium. And uh, there was 130,000 people there. And Chris joined us for that uh, one. He didn't have to work. And we, were, we, we sat down. A few minutes later, there's a tap on my shoulder. Remember, there's a lot of people there. And I turn around. It's that woman again. <laughs> and during the break, she uh, a picture. She wanted a picture. So Chris took a picture of Len and I and two Asian women. <laughs> We're complete strangers. I go home, and a couple months later, you know, you get a lot of junk email, right? Ah, it's going, delete, 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 delete. Sorry if I deleted yours. But, <laughs> um, and I was just, delete, delete, and I was about to hit delete on one, because it's just a strange name, and just as prompting, read it. Dear Pastor Ray, uh, ever since we met in Korea, I've been praying for you, tra -tra. I have a group of people, and they're all praying for you, tra -tra -tra. Okay, that's, that's wonderful. And uh, do you have any prayer requests? So I send her some prayer requests, and then I forget about it again. A couple weeks later, I get another email, and then another one, and another one. I keep sending, I keep sending uh, prayer requests over there. 
and she's got this team. And uh, finally, she writes me an email, and she says, don't you ever wonder why somebody in Malaysia is praying for you? <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, I do wonder that. Because <laughs> I'm nowhere, apparently. And so I wrote her an email back, and I said, uh, yes, as a matter of fact, I have been wondering that. <laughs> and she said, back, uh, back in Korea, she said, we were starting an afternoon session, and suddenly, it's like the Spirit focused my attention on the man in front of me and said to me, that's a man of God sitting there, I want you to begin praying for him. And she said, well, this is ridiculous, he's Caucasian, you know, I'm, <laughs> he don't pray for such. And, uh, and so she, uh, she had thought, this is just ridiculous, this is, doesn't make any sense. So she just ignored it. And, uh, but she couldn't get it out of her mind, and it was constantly bugging her, she couldn't concentrate, couldn't listen to the speaker. Finally she said, God, I'm laying out a fleece. If he gets up and comes and sits down beside me, then I'll know that you're calling him <laughs> or calling me to pray for him. And with that, she said, I got up and I came around and sat down next to her. <laughs> now, what's the point of the story? She doesn't pray for us anymore. She and her team have now disbanded, but it was happening right at a very crucial time, you see? There's another woman that God was working in, had started working in in 97 when her husband got cancer, and it was Grace Fast. And she was sick at the same time Fran, uh, or he was sick at the same time Fran was. And Fran lived, and Reg passed away from very severe cancer. And during that time, Grace began to pray like crazy. She pressed into God something. In fact, she told me this yesterday, and she said, I could, I could tell. She pressed into God, and pressed into God, and pressed into God. In fact, they were at a, uh, they were at a, um, uh, they were in Mexico finally, you know, a Canadian system. They finally said, it's not, there's nothing more we can do. The Mayo Clinic said, in the U.S. said, there's nothing more we can do. Finally went to Mexico, Tijuana there. And she was reading out of Psalm 27 the one morning. God gave her a promise. You will see uh, let me see if I got it here. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And there was another couple there. He was in stage four, cancer. And, uh, and uh, a couple days later, he said to Reg and, and Grace, he said, I had a vivid dream last night that we were, that we were, that Reg and I were walking around healthy, totally healthy and whole again. And so Grace really began to press in and figured maybe this was a promise from God. She prayed for healing, praying for healing, praying for healing. July, this was April of, uh, of that year, 98, I think it was. Uh, July, of, uh, uh, he, the, the other man died, and in September, Reg passed away. She prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Did she get the answer? Did it match? But let me tell you about the answer. When Reg was gone, she had been grieving for some time and she was up early in the morning. One day she was sitting on, on the floor beside her bed and she said, 
Lord, I fell in love with prayer during this time and with you, but now I have nothing to pray for. What should I do? Reg had been a close friend of mine, and he had been called to be my friend. There's a whole story behind that, but God said to her, I want you to be Ray's friend. She said, well, he's married and all that. And God said, phone him. He will tell you what to do. And so she phoned me. I didn't know anything was going on. And I said, Grace, I need somebody in the prayer ministry. This was in 99. She joined the pastor's prayer partners, and she soon took over the lead of the pastor's prayer partners. And she began to grow prayer and grow it and grow it. Today we've got nearly 300 people in a variety of prayer ministries. You know, I told you that I'm mentoring 42 pastors and denominational leaders. She's now mentoring six or seven prayer leaders from these pastors. And they're starting prayer. Nothing in this church could have happened without her prayers and the prayers of the teams that she got. Do you believe that? Everything happens through prayer. But you know what God knew? When we were getting going in prayer, we needed help. And so God gave us Christina Chong out of Malaysia. And then when Grace and her team started to come, eventually Christina started to phone and ask them, how do you do this and how do you do that? And could you pray for us and stuff? And the table turned. Is that amazing? And today we got this amazing prayer ministry. You couldn't have the success that Southland is experiencing. You couldn't have the ministry of church renewal going out like it is if we didn't have this kind of prayer. And yesterday, Grace said to me, I'm so glad that God answered my prayer better than what I asked. Because I want to I tell you this. One second into eternity, do you think that she or her children will regret that they paid such a price to see all of what's happening? Yes or no? Not one bit. Church, God is calling us to prayer. He says you don't have because you don't ask. And many times we do our asking is half-hearted or we don't ask because we don't believe because the prayers didn't match. The, the answers didn't match the request. God says, I'll do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.